1862, a French author by the name of Victor Hugo published a historical fiction novel known as Les Miserables. And the, the story is set in the wake of the French Revolution. It had just finished and everybody's kind of settling, the dust is all settling. We're discovering a very, very, as per the title, miserable situation in France. And what the whole story is based on, the two main characters are a, are, one is a prisoner who had, who had escaped from prison, broken parole and escaped. The other is, in a sense, a, a policeman or, or I guess in a sense a sheriff, if you will, who's constantly in pursuit of the prisoner. The prisoner's name is Jean Valjean, the sheriff is named Jovert. This, this book was recently made into a musical, and I gotta say, I watched this musical recently, and, and, and every time I see it, it always kind of makes me, it's always a little, a little piercing to me, not because it's bad, but because it's just so good. And my favorite part of this whole musical is whenever Jean Valjean, the prisoner, the one who's escaped and broke parole, the one who's on the run for the law, goes into a priest's rectory. And the priest invites him in. He invites this dirty, smelly, unshaven man who behaves like an animal and allows him to sit at his fine oak table and serves him dinner. And as he's being served dinner, Jean Valjean says nothing to the priest the whole time only focuses on his food and continues to consume his food the way a dog would lap up grime. Once the whole dialogue goes on, the priest looks at the servant and says, aren't we so blessed and honored to have our guest with us? And he looks at this mangy man, a man who conducts himself no better than any animal on earth, and says, thank you for joining us. I can't tell you what a blessing this is to me. And Jean Valjean just looks at him like, what is wrong with you, dude? I don't care about you. I just want your food, like a lot of my college students. <laughs> They're like, he's, he's like totally like not interested. And then all of a sudden, the evening, the evening comes, the night falls, and Jean Valjean retires and the priest retires to their quarter. And what does Jean Valjean do? He wakes up in the middle of the night, or actually maybe he doesn't even go to sleep, and he goes to the, to the cupboard, he goes to, to the, the fine china cabinet, and steals all the priest's silver, puts it in a gunny sack, and takes off without saying goodbye. I, can, I mean, obviously he wouldn't say goodbye, but without, without saying anything. Out of there. And later on, as the morning comes, you see Jean Valjean being dragged in with his gunny sack of silver by two policemen and thrown into the rectory at the priest's feet. And the policeman, looking at the priest, says, Did this man take your stuff? He says that you gave it to him. But we don't believe him. We think we, you, he took it from you. We think he robbed you. All you have to do is affirm our theory. And the priest did something that I don't think I could ever do in my life. This is why I don't like that movie. <laughs> the priest looked at the cops and said, you know what? This man is speaking the truth. I did give it to him. I gave him all my silver. But then he looked at this poor mangy man, Jean Valjean, and he says, but sir, you forgot something. You forgot the most important part. The most valuable thing that I wanted to give you. 
And the priest then goes to his fine dining table, the table that you can tell he loves so much, the table where he has so many meals, does so many rituals, has so much bonding, and he grabs the two fine silver candlesticks and goes and hands it to this dog of a man and says, here you go. This is for you. And at that moment, Jean Valjean breaks down and changes his life and gives it to God. It's something that, I, that, is, that is completely unprecedented, completely unheard of. In fact, people find this, this writing, this article so hard to believe that they say Victor Hugo just put it in there just to mock the clergy. Because he didn't believe any of the clergymen would at the time would ever do that. Maybe he's right. Maybe it's true. But the fact of the matter is, is our history is littered with true stories of real priests actually doing something that crazy. Actually doing something that wild. Actually living out this very gospel message. Where if a man comes to you and he wants your cloak, here, take my tunic. If somebody comes to you and slaps you in the face, here, slap my other cheek. Because what these priests did, what these men do, recognize that it was in their mission. It was in their job to do one thing and one thing only. And that was to expose the lies of Satan and expound upon the truth of God. And they knew that the way Satan operates... The way the prince of lies works is through deception, through deceit, and through having us fight and squabble and war over things that don't ultimately matter. Silver candlesticks don't really matter at the end of the day. Our reputation doesn't really matter at the end of the day. Even our own lives don't really matter at the end of the day. Saint after saint would say, you want my stuff here, take it all. You want my reputation here? Take it all. You want my life here? I'll give it to you. One of the great stories, one of my favorite stories about this, this, this detachment from, from, from just, just stuff is St. John Vianney. St. John Vianney was actually a priest in kind of the time, actually this novel was written, but he was a real character. He's actually the co-patron of our diocese. He's the, the, the priest, the, excuse me, he's the patron of all diocesan priests. And at one point, St. John Vianney, who was at this nowhere parish in the middle of nothing, I mean, in, in ours, and he's there, and, and he gets this letter. And he looks at this letter, he's at his desk, and he realizes a petition from all the other priests around his area, petitioning the bishop to have him removed, because they didn't like all the competition, I suppose. And St. I mean, like, think about that. I mean, that would be like if... I mean, this isn't actually happening. But that would be like if Father Chester or Father Russo or Father Harold like, decided to write a petition against me and have me removed. And then suddenly it's like an email that would, probably wouldn't be like, you know, mailed to me, but it might be, you know, somebody BCC me on the email or whatever, and I might get it. And so, so, but what does St. John Vianney do? I would, like, I would lose my mind. But St. John Vianney looked at this, read their expose, their reasoning, and said, eh, they're right. And he signed the letter, gave it to the bishop himself. It doesn't matter. Reputation does not matter. Another example is, is, is our own lives. I mean, we all know the story of Maximilian Kolbe. Maximilian Kolbe's lined up in a concentration camp. A guard pulls a, a father of, 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 chi- of multiple children. He's crying. He's screaming, please spare me. I have children. I have a wife. Please don't do this to me. Please don't. Because don't, the guard was looking for, for people to go into a death chamber. And what does Maximilian Kolbe do? He steps in and says, take me instead. God looks at him and says, who are you? I'm a Catholic priest. I'm a Catholic priest. The guard's like, I just hit the jackpot. Let's take him. 
And so he lets, he, he lets the father go, and he takes the priest. And, and before we know it, he's now a great, one of the greatest saints to walk the face of the earth. But that's what that stuff does. What's that, what that stuff does, what those noble deeds do, what the, what the, what the priest in Les Mis does, what St. John Vianney, what Maximilian Colby does, is what they do is they show us that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is our immortal soul. The only thing that matters is our relationship to Christ. The only thing that matters is our relationship to the Lord. And what they do in, in casting this stuff aside is expose the lies and the seat and the troubled smoke and mirrors that Satan is constantly trying to trick us with. That Satan's constantly trying to get us to fight amongst each other with. That Satan's constantly trying to lead us astray with. Because how often does he use these petty, unconsequential things to ultimately damn each and every one of our souls? How often does he use these as total distractions to our ultimate mission of sanctity? And my dear friends, that's what this gospel is all about. This gospel is about teaching us to have mercy. And in order to have mercy on other people, we have to recognize that all the stuff, all this stuff doesn't really matter. And there's only one thing that really does. And that person is Jesus Christ. And if we can have that truly in our hearts, then we can be as generous as possible. And our reward truly will be great in heaven if that really does happen. Amen.